0: Hey, hey, it's Mandy Kay and you are listening to the Find Your Calling podcast and I am so happy to have you joining me today. And I am equally so happy to be back. (laughs) Now, you may have noticed that I had a couple of weeks off since my last episode, which was all about rest and reviving. I ended up being deeply unwell and I really took heed to my own advice and took the rest that I needed and waited until I was ready to come back with full health and something to say because yeah we have continued to see a deterioration and continuing horror of what is happening in the Middle East and I have been deeply, deeply impacted by the images uh, that I am seeing coming out of Gaza. And yeah, I just didn't know really what to say in this podcast, but then it came to me. I truly believe that we are at a point of awakening on the planet and we have been for some time, but this is when we are really truly being called to put love into action So it's interesting when I reflect on my own spiritual journey, how I definitely went through a period, which I call my love and light period, and I put them in inverted commas, (laughs) where I truly believed that all that I needed to do to contribute to a better world was to project out love and light from my forest cabin that was off the grid (laughs) I was deep and immersely you know, immersed in my healing journey. I was doing a lot of Reiki, a lot of meditation, and I was super disconnected from the world during that time. And on one level it felt uh, it felt rightful for me at that time because I was healing. I was sobering up. I was recovering from my eating disorder. But I fell into a trap believing that all that I needed to do to help was project out love and light. And One of the key things that really changed my mind was when there was a coal seam gas fracking project that was about to begin on the outskirts of our region. It was, I don't know how far it was, but it was out the other side of Lismore. So it was maybe about an hour and a half's drive from where I was And this was on the fringe of a region of a very mobilized group of people who really cared about the planet and looking after one another. Anyway, I remember when protests started to occur in response to this plan to frack this land. And I attended one, but I was on the outskirts of it and I was really Balking at this idea that what you resist persists, and really thinking, oh no, if we're going out and protesting it and speaking about it, then what we're doing is we're just creating more of it onto the planet. And as the months rolled on, this coordinated community effort to protect that farmland became so organized and. They're so organised in the sense that they could mobilise thousands of us to turn up at any moment's notice to the front gate to protect it from letting in trucks and so forth from the gas company. And I would participate in those like flash mob actions and I would go out when I could. You know, I did just a small, tiny amount in a very big coordinated effort and In the end, the gas company gave up and they won against this national or international gas company to come in and destroy the land with their plans. And I got to see in that moment that if all of those people had not been standing at that gate and standing for what was right, that gas company would have rolled on in and absolutely fracked that land. And it totally changed my opinion from this, all we need is love and light and we can't ever resist what's going on because we're just going to create more of it, to really recognising that actually a great amount of progress that has been forged in our history, has been built on people standing up and fighting for what's right. I'm just thinking of the suffragette movement, like would women be able to vote right now if the suffragettes didn't stand up for the right to be able to participate? Would segregation have ended if the civil rights movement never started? We need to be standing up for what we believe to be true and right and the kind of planet that we want to create. And it can be easy to feel helpless, though, when the forces seem so great and the momentum is so fierce, like I'm just looking at all of these Western governments supporting the war that is going on and channeling money and weaponry into Israel and it's just creating more destruction and more death and more suffering. And I don't want to live in a world like this. I don't want to live in a world where governments support this. And so I know now that I need to stand up for that and do what I can. And I have a story that I wanted to share with you that really showed me how much power we have when we stand up collectively with one another. Like we have so much power together. We outnumber the politicians and the government by an immense amount. And yet we've been conditioned to believe that we are powerless in the face of all of these oppressive systems and structures of the world but we truly aren't and so the story i wanted to share with you is a little known story that i I haven't definitely not told it on the podcast and i don't know how many people know it even in my circles But it goes back to the Lismore flood recovery effort in 2017. If you're new to the podcast, the brief rundown on that is Lismore was a city that I live nearby and it flooded. At that point in 2017, the largest flood in 40 years hit Lismore and it decimated and surprised everyone because it broke the levee and thousands of people were left without power for days flood affected and thousands of people wanted to come in and help and i just randomly ended up being one of the few people who was managing a facebook group that thousands of spontaneous volunteers joined in the preceding days after the flood and On the third day after the flood, three of us from that Facebook admin group met each other in Lismore. We naively thought that it would be really great for the community response to coordinate in with the official response. Like we honestly had no idea at that point that the official responses have zero interest in engaging in the community response. But we all met. One of Um, two of us knew each other. I knew Katie because we danced together in an 80s flash mob dance group and we also worked together in a disability dance group. Actually, no, that was before the disability dance group. We worked with each other later in a disability dance group. But at that point, our connection was 80s flash mob dance, which is a very worthwhile connection to have. And we met Maddie, who... had actually started the Facebook group originally. And this day, I, I don't want to go into that whole story of what happened that day. I will one day because it was full of grace, even though we were pushed from pillar to post and it looked like things weren't flowing, but they really were because I can tell you that in hindsight. But the short version of the story is that by the end of the day, we were sitting in the council chambers with the local council willing to be supportive of us and wanting to help us. And the very next day, we ended up at a press conference with the state premier and key personnel from the government agencies that were part of the official disaster response. And at that press conference, we were bullied by some of the people from those government agencies, telling us that you have to stop what you're doing. Because at that point, we just had thousands of people self-organizing in a Facebook group with people who needed help. So anyone who'd been flood affected could go onto this Facebook group, ask for help, and other people in the community would respond and turn up at their place and help them. And this had gone on since the flood. So by that point, it had been going on for four days. This was the fourth day of that occurring. And I think by that point, we were over 7,000 people in the Facebook group or upwards to 8,000. And <laughs> they told us, you have to stop. You can't be sending uninsured and unregistered um, and untrained people into people's homes and yeah, you just can't be doing what you're doing. And we were just like, we were bamboozled because everything had happened so quickly and we were just naively trying to help and to be of service. And and it was very fascinating because the momentum of our movement was so big at that point. There was no stopping it. We were people caring for people Community caring for community. And we were 8,000 people strong by that point. Like, there was no stopping what we were doing, even if the three of us had decided, oh no, it's not a good idea. Like, the community was going to continue to help the community. And it was really interesting what unfolded from that point was the council soon realised because of insurance issues, they couldn't officially support us. So all their support came unofficially, but it really did help. And the next day we opened up our volunteer hub in the unused train station, which was facilitated with the help of the local council. So shout out to anyone who might be listening from those days because you were bloody champions to be really following your heart and your integrity to still support this massive community effort to support community, even though, yeah, legally it was restrictive or restricted. And Yeah, we carried on doing exactly what we did. That hub was open for 19 days and it became the central point of contact for the community to come in and receive help. They could register what they needed help with at their homes. They could pick up donated goods. They could pick up food. They could speak to chaplains. And then it was also the place that anyone who wanted to help could turn up and we would put them together, Uh, we would register them, and then we'd put them together in teams and we would send them out on jobs. We had a full operation occurring there. There was about 35 volunteers who regularly came back each day to work in sort of the office space. We integrated a system that was used from overseas uh, that had never been implemented before in Australia, which was created by two young women who had been faced with a disaster in their own community and realised there were such, such limitations in the software that you could use. So they created this software and we use that as, as sort of like our CRM to manage all of the jobs and manage the support that people needed. We had a beautiful psychologist turn up who volunteered their time and in, under her leadership, the team created a whole welfare team to go door-knocking because we recognised there would be people who may not know about us, may not know about the support. So yeah, we had a community door-knocking team. Like it was a full forced operation. And eventually the government response, they have official uh, recovery centres that were set up outside of the flood zone. And within, uh, maybe by the second week, they realized, wow, this whole community is going to this community operation, but we really need them to be coming to us. And it created this shift in the dynamic between us where the government departments came to us and said, okay, we recognize that You are working so closely with the community and we need your help to be able to get the community to access what we have. And so they, one, acknowledged us and two, started to work with us. And that created a, yeah, a partnership of sort where, yeah, they organized a bus that would go from our center to their center. And they had other services that came and parked up in our center's car park. And then the most fascinating thing occurred after all of that, after we had channeled 1,500 volunteers to over 1,000 jobs in just 19 days, which still blows my mind. It felt like months. The New South Wales State Government Department of Emergency Management invited us to start talking to them so that they could start to consider how could they change the way that they work so that they acknowledge the community response and integrate the community response. It's always been so difficult because, you know, the community responses are so organic. What I saw happen was a shift, a crack in the paradigm of, of this hierarchical, top-down power of governments over community. And it was just a little crack. We had a flood last year in Lismore again, this time the most catastrophic that had ever been recorded and affected even more people and people lost their lives. And yet, even though the response was not perfect, I saw a difference between that 2017 flood and last year's flood where the community had more of a voice. The response was respected in a deeper way. There was way more collaboration between the government response and the community response. And so I share this story because what would have happened if we had taken on that bullying that we'd received at that press conference where we were urged, you've got to stop. We'll take it from here now. Like what would have happened? But we didn't. We just kept going because we knew that we had the momentum. We knew that we had love on our side. Like seriously, that was the biggest outpouring of love and kindness I've ever witnessed in my life directly. It was it was as though the entire operation from the community was just filled with so much grace, like from things turning up that we needed just at the right time or a person with the right skills turning up at exactly the right time or beautiful synchronicities between somebody seeking a particular thing and then somebody turning up with that exact thing that they needed. Like it was just so beautiful. And I truly believe that when we're living in a state of flow, when we're living connected to love and recognizing our interconnectedness with one another and a greater power, that that's how life can be. But right now what I'm viewing is this sense that we are being told to stand down, stop, don't vocalise your support. It's literally illegal in some places to even protest in support of the Palestinian people having freedom. And yet millions of people around the world are coming out every single week and joining rallies that keep growing bigger and bigger every week. And I just, this is my call to say, we have the power when we stand together. So do not feel helpless. As one person, you make up a very important drop in an ocean of power when we stand together. And I really hope that this story and my personal experience can just touch your heart In the way to recognize that we really do have so much more power and that each time that we work together, that we stand up together and really like put love into action in the right way, then we are creating these shifts in the power structures of the world and helping to create it into one that we want to see where we all have freedom where we all have peace and the right to live harmoniously and peacefully and freely. Like I really, really love the saying that I've been seeing around if our love for freedom does not extend to everybody having that same freedom, then what we really like is privilege. And so we are being called at this particular point to use our privilege for those who need it. So anyway, I literally have tears in my eyes right now because I'm just... This is such an important moment for humanity. And it's going to require all of us who can feel what's happening in our hearts to stand up. So I encourage you, if you live in a democracy to call your representatives if your government is not calling for a ceasefire right now, then I encourage you to make noise and raise your voice and contribute your voice to calling for a ceasefire in the Middle East and calling an end to the the siege that is currently happening on the Palestinian people and an end to the occupation. I am looking to the voices and the leadership of the Jews and the Arabs and all Palestinian and Israel people to really forge a way together to live in peace on those lands. But that cannot happen while there is so much bloodshed occurring, so... Continue to feel what it is that you're feeling in response to this. Allow the tears to flow because they're a healing part of the process. But then put that into action. This is the time for love into action and just know that together we really do hold the power. All right, beautiful. Take good care of yourself and I will look forward to coming back again next week in my regular rhythm and routine on this podcast. All right, big love.